I want to help you today uh, talk about what I believe is the single most important question in life. And I phrase it this way, is God dead? Is God dead? Now, all the Christians that are in here today, all the people that are watching uh, online today, uh, you believe that there's a God. That's why you're a Christian. You believe in Christ. You believe in, uh, in the deity of Christ. You believe in God, that there is a God. But do you know what? Um, we're going to have to do more than just believe. We're going to have to be able to defend and explain why we believe there's a God. And I'm afraid that a lot of Christians really have never thought through why they believe in God. And I want to help you do that today. Um, everything in life hinges upon whether or not there is a God. Amen. Uh, let me just give you the, the short version of this. If there's no God, then everything is up to you and I. If there is a God, then he has something to say about how we live our lives. Amen? So your life is completely hinged upon whether or not there is a God or there is not a God. It isn't that it doesn't matter. If there is a God and you're not living the way he wants you to live, then there's a problem. If there is no God, then there's a really big problem because now you and I are in charge of making everything work out in the end. And oh my God, we don't want to be there, do we? <laughs> in 1882, a German philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche wrote the phrase, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. Now, his phrase wasn't necessarily talking about whether there was a God or not. It was deeper than that. He was really commenting on whether or not society felt like they needed God or not. As he watched like the prog progression of knowledge, like there came a point during his time in which science became a thing and knowledge started to increase and people started learning and explaining things uh, scientifically like why there were earthquakes. It wasn't because God was moving his furniture. That's not what earthquakes were, right? And, and, you know, and, and when you sneezed, it wasn't like a, a spirit leaving your body or anything. There were scientific explanations. And so he was watching society and, and realizing that as we grew more knowledgeable in the scientific areas, we would no longer need God to explain things for us. That's why he says we killed God. We've become so smart that scientific answers and rationality would win over sacred revelation. People would start to believe only what they could see, feel, touch, hear, taste, smell with the five senses, only what they could measure. And that's how he came up with the phrase, God is dead. In 1966, Time magazine echoed Nietzsche's words on the cover of their famous edition, which read, Is God Dead? It had an accompanying article that explored the same question, society's ever-decreasing need for God. In other words, it's like this. It's, there really never was a God. We just made him up to help us deal with the unanswered questions of life. And now that we've become so much smarter in knowledge, our need of God has disappeared. Therefore, God is dead. That's where you get the phrase from repeated over and over again. It isn't that there ever was a God. It's that our need of God is gone. Therefore, God is dead. The problem with this mindset is it really doesn't explore if God really is or not. It never asks the question, is there really a God? It simply looks and says we don't need him anymore, so he doesn't exist. 
It views God's basis solely on the question, do we need him? And today, I want to explore the existence or the evidence of the existence of God. Needless to say, I'm a pastor. I believe in God. Amen? But I want you to know that I didn't come to this conclusion just off the top of my head. But I have my own personal examination of the evidence. And it is evidence that I believe is so plain, it's so like right in front of your face, that you have to willfully ignore it to doubt the existence of God. To imagine a universe and life without God, you have to take a huge leap of faith in atheism. And so I believe there is a God, and I want to share with you today what I look at and why I come to the conclusion that there is a God. In the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote these powerful words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many of you heard that before? Did you memorize it in junior high, right? That's awesome. That's awesome. I want you to notice three things about what he says here Number one, he uses the word created and creator. He believed in a divine power that had to bring this all about. Number two, he said the evidence for these things that I'm talking about are self-evident. In other words, they're right in front of our face. The proof is right around us. And the last word I want you to recognize is the word truths. In other words, what he's saying is these things are absolutely true. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. Paul echoed the same thing and gave the same approach to the existence of God in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to read that together. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness... Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they, get, they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Can I tell you something? You ought to dive into this passage right here because this is some deep, real, powerful stuff here that God is telling us today. And, and let me just give you the overview of it. Paul is saying, hey, uh, the proof of God is everywhere around us. It's all over the place. And if you don't believe in God, there is a price to pay for a lack of belief. We know that. But God is saying the proof is everywhere. It's, in, it's evident internally. It's evident externally. All around, the proof of God is everywhere. It shows in all of life. But people decided to not believe in God. 
they made the choice to worship creatures rather than the creator now back in paul's day there there might have been people who made little gods out of uh, you know little wood and they would shape a cow or a calf or or something a sun god and they would worship the things that god created they would worship the sun or they would worship a cow there's still societies today that worship animals and uh, they believe these are sacred uh, animals there's countries where uh, they even believe that rats have some sort of divinity they don't want to kill rats and guess what rats are everywhere you know uh, and that, that's just an example of the, the extreme of worshiping the, the creature instead of the creator. But it goes beyond that. You know, every time that we worship ourselves, we decide that we're smart enough and we're wise enough. We are no longer worshiping God. We worship ourselves and our own knowledge. There is internal evidence that God exists, and I believe it is self-evidence, it is right in front of us. Do you have Romans chapter 1, verse 19 for us now? Romans chapter 1. Here, I got it on here, I think. Notice what it says here. I read it already, but I want to read it again. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. In other words, Paul is saying there's stuff inside of you that makes it obvious that God is alive. Amen. There's stuff inside of your life that if you just be honest about it, God is showing you himself. The first thing I want to talk about internally in you is your morality. Morality. Morality is the idea that there is right and wrong and good and evil. And so I would propose this question to you. If there is no God, where does good and evil come from? Who decides good and evil? Some people would say, well, I get to decide that for myself. Well, there's a problem with that because if you decide that keeping your stuff is good and Stephen decides that beating you over the head with a stick and stealing your stuff is good, he can say that's his morality and you can say it's your morality. Meanwhile, you have a knot on your head and no more stuff. There's a problem. Deciding what is right and wrong just for you you don't even have a consistency in your own beliefs for what you believe when you were younger is different than what you believe today. And trust me, if you're in your early 20s, the stuff you believe today, you will change your opinion about much of it when you're 50, 60, 70 years old. Your own opinion about morality will change. What about society? Do they know what is right and wrong? Well, we can't trust society either. Because which society do we trust? Our grandmother's society or our kids' society? Is it the millennial generation or is it the generation X? Who has right and wrong down pat? And is it Western civilization or is it a civilization somewhere else? We live in a world where if someone is uh, 16 years old and someone who's 40 has uh, uh, sex with them, that person who's 40 probably goes to prison. There's another country right now where a girl is being given away to a 40-year-old man, and it happens every day, and nobody thinks twice about it. I'm not here to talk about whether that's moral or not. My point is this. Which society has morality, right? Is it ours, or is it the one overseas? We can't trust society to tell us what is morally right. We look at our politicians who stand behind pulpits and, and talk as if they have the moral high ground on their side. But if you go back to the videotape of 10 years ago, they said something different. Come on, are you listening to me today? If there is no God, how can there be a right and wrong? If there is a true right and a true wrong, it has to be true for everybody at all times. If it's not, then there is just us having our own opinions. I believe that. 
even in the heart of people who have very little training, little children growing up who haven't had much experience or teaching in life, there is a sense of good and evil. We realize that in all of us, we have the capacity to do loving, good, kind things, or we have the capacity to do hateful, terrible, awful things. And most of us have done each of those things. Can we be honest? Right? It exists in all of us. And so I would ask you today, if there is no God, where did morality come from? Second, I would say, if there's no God, where did conscience and consciousness come from? How are we even aware that there's right and wrong? How are we looking at our own lives and wondering what the meaning is of life? And how do we have those kind of thoughts? If we're just all a collection of stardust floating on a rock through space, how do we have any sense of ourselves and our responsibility? Now, you look at the animals. You don't look at a lion that, you know, sometimes a male lion will kill a cub that's not his. And you don't look at that and go, that's awful. That's so immoral. You say it's just an animal, and that's what animals do. But we expect more from ourselves, don't we? Why? Why do we expect more from us if there's no God and we're just all a collection of atoms floating on a rock through space? Why do we have any sense of consciousness? It's because it is apparent and real that there is a God and he decides right and wrong. In fact, he's even put it inside of us. People who've never read the Bible have a sense of right and wrong. Do you know that? Let's look at Romans chapter 2 verse 14. Romans chapter 2, for when the Gentiles who were non-Jewish people, in other words, he's saying people who haven't been trained in the law of right and wrong, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. God put it in your hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. People who have never been to church and don't believe in God know there are things that are right and wrong. It is to me evidence that there is a creator who has decided there is right and wrong. He has put it in our hearts. We may have differences opinions on what the legal age for a young girl should be. Societies may change, and as you grow older, your opinions may change on some of these things. But underneath it all, there is a sense of right and wrong within all of us that God put there. It is self-evident if we examine it. Third internal thing is purpose and meaning. So if there's no God, then what is the purpose of anything? Why do we want to survive? Why do we want to thrive? Why do we want to, what does it matter? If there's no God, what does it matter if we live or die? What does it matter if we love or, or have compassion or emotion? What does it matter? Within every one of us, we have a desire to have a, a meaningful life and a purpose. Amen? I mean, do you want to do more than just like pay your bills and go to work and and just get by i mean don't you want to make an impact in the world don't you want to do well some people want to do well in business and some people in family and some people in ministry and but whatever it is all of us have this internal desire we feel like we were meant for something great and the truth is we were If you look at that, that is evidence of God. God planted that desire in your heart. He wants you to know that you are different from the lion. You are different from the animal. You are made in my image. 
And I created you to be in relationship with me and for your life to have meaning and purpose. For if there is no God, how do we have any purpose or need for life? I believe that when we look at love and hate and emotion and the internals of our lives, they can't be measured scientifically. For if things are only real that can be measured scientifically, I would say, well, then your love for your kids is not real. Because how do you measure love? How do you know how many good acts add up to I truly love? You can't measure some things scientifically because they're spiritual. Amen? And, and they can be measured spiritually. We can look at the, the evidence of them. But the truth is, you do love your children. It is a real thing. And it is evidence that there is a God of love. Can you say amen? Not only are there internal evidences, but Paul said there were external evidences. Let's look at Romans uh, chapter 1 and verse 20 here. And let's read this again in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. The external evidences of God. I like what he says there. You know what? The evidence on the outside is clear. It's everywhere. So that there's no excuse for not believing in God. If we look around us, Job chapter uh, 12, 7 through 9 describes it so well. Job 12, 7 through 9. But now ask the beasts and let them teach you. Ask the birds of the heavens and let them tell you or speak the truth and let it teach you and let the fish of the sea declare to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. Amen. It is the hand of the Lord that has made everything around us. If you look at life externally, you know, there's lots of explanations for how we all got here. And listen, I'm not anti-science at all. I believe if science could explore every possible piece of knowledge everywhere in time and space, ultimately they would come to a knowledge of God. But of course that's impossible. Science is never going to do that. And so there are a lot of unanswered questions. But what we do know about our universe is that it is completely, absolutely complex. It is so complex, so absolutely unprobable that this could happen. That somehow everything is just right for us to live. Do you know that if there's not just enough trees and plants putting out the right kind of oxygen and us putting out carbon, we would die? Do you know that if we just went a little further from the sun or a little closer to the sun, we would either freeze or burn up? Do you know that everything, we have just enough water on the earth. Do you know that everything sits on a razor's edge? In fact, scientists often say it's miraculous that we are even here. You look at the complexity of life around you and you must think there's got to be a designer behind this, a creator behind it all. So I, I like to give this example. Let's say that you go off deep into the woods and you've walked for, for maybe a mile and you have not seen one single evidence of human activity. Not a, not a beer can on the ground, not a bottle cap or a cigarette butt, not anything. You're just in the woods of the woods. And as you're walking, all of a sudden you come upon a clearing and in the clearing there's a log cabin. What do you know about that log cabin? Let me tell you what you don't know. You don't know, you don't think 
that that is a natural occurrence. You don't think that maybe there was a tornado and all the trees fell and they just landed right on top of each other. And then a beaver came and cut a door hole out of it. You don't think that, do you? You look at that and you know a human being has been there. You look at the design and you know there was a designer. When you look around you, life is so spectacular, so marvelous. It must have a designer. There is no way that all of this could have just happened. I don't believe it's possible. Where did life come from? Where did all of this, how did all of this come into being? And some people take the advantage of saying trillions and trillions of years that time started and, and, and there's so much expansive space and so many different planets that one of them had to become us and, and, and there's even possibly more of us out there. And, and, and I'm not here to talk about whether there's more life out in outer space. What I'm here to tell you is that scientists do say this, that every other solar system that they know of and every other planet they look at is not like us. There is not one. We are unique as a solar system. We are unique as a planet. There is no possibility of life anywhere else. We cannot exist on the moon. They're, they just sent some uh, spacecraft to, to Mars to take pictures pictures and you know that right now they are planning uh trips to mars for human beings but you know what they got to do for us to exist there they have to build shelters and stuff because if there's not shelters and clothes that are pressurized with oxygen you will die in a short manner of time the earth is absolutely a unique planet in our solar system i believe in our galaxy i believe in our universe it is a spectacular, marvelous thing. It is so unlikely that it had just naturally happened. It is as if you took a billion nickels and you threw them all in the air. And they didn't land all on heads and they didn't land all on tails, but they all landed on their side. That's the probability and the likelihood we're talking about that all of this just came from an accident. When you look around at the origins of the universe, let's look in Psalms 19 verse 1. Psalms 19.1. It says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. I love that. Every once in a while, just stop and look up in the sky, especially at night. Check out that moon when it gets so full. That's like a real planet. That's like a thing out there. And then the stars, sometimes you can see none of them. Sometimes there's so many you can't even begin to count them, right? And, and it's just so marvelous. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Hallelujah. I love that. When we look at the heavens around us and we imagine and dream of what it possibly could be out there, I believe it is telling us of the glory of God. How can something come from nothing? We don't know what that even possibly means. And when we try to imagine God, a God that has always been and always will be, who lives outside of time, who lives outside of space. He said, I'm not the God of yesterday and the God of tomorrow. I'm the God I am. What he was saying was, I'm not limited by yesterday or tomorrow. I am in the past. I am in the present. I am in the future. I am beyond time. I am beyond space. For it is God who made time and space. God who put all of this together. I think when you look at the cosmos and, and wonder how life got here and the meaning of life and, and the uniqueness of our planet and life here on planet Earth, you must take a complete leap of faith to believe that all of this was some kind of cosmic accident. Things like that don't happen. To me, it's in the mindset of like putting a bunch of different crayons in a bucket and some dynamite and you blow it up and all of a sudden there's a Mona Lisa painting on the wall. <laughs> 
Things like that don't happen, do they? Throwing a, a, a bunch of uh, uh, chalk in the air and it all landing in a beautiful uh, landscape on the floor. Things like that don't happen. There has to be a designer that put it all together. And finally today, the reason I believe there is evidence of the existence of God is because life without God would be impossible. Not only impossible, but terrifying. I want you to think about life without God. Romans 1, 21 through 25. Let's look at that again. It says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they, because they did not honor, believe in God, they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. What is he saying? We can be so smart that we don't need God, yet the evidence of him is right there in front of us and right inside of us. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. In other words, we stopped worshiping God and we started worshiping ourselves and how smart we are and how wise we are. Sometimes I wonder about the wisdom of mankind, though, because I get in allergies and I go to the doctor and he says, well, there's nothing I can do for you. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you know, we're so wise. We're sending people into space and you can't get my allergies under control. Hallelujah. Help me, Jesus. For since the creation of the world, let's see, professing to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and creatures. Therefore, watch this, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They would exchange the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Can I tell you something? We are living in these times right now. Life without God means, number one, there is no good thing. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. You take God out of your life and there is no good thing in it. There is no, like I said last week, that means there's no breath of fresh air. There's no, there's no enjoyment of just peace. I mean, you know, you know what is a good feeling that we all know and understand? It's like when you've had to pee really bad and you couldn't find a bathroom and when you finally do and it's all gone and that, that sense of like you're back to zero again, <laughs> that is so good. Can I tell you something? Every good feeling you might ever experience in life would be gone without God. Every good thing comes from him. So a life without God becomes a life without good. That means without God, there would be no morality. Chaos would rule. People would only do whatever they wanted. If I wanted to do it, I would do it. If I chose to, who are you to say that I'm wrong? That whoever has the biggest gun or the most determination or is the cleverest wins the day. There is no sense of morality. How could we live as a civilization? We'd simply be destroying one another. Which leads to a word called nihilism. Nihilism is this. Listen, it is the rejection of all religious and moral principles leading to the belief that life is meaningless. I'm here to tell you this, that if you believe that there is no God, but yet there are morals and values and principles, then you're somewhere trying to squeeze both sides. You're trying to get a little bit out of both ends. 
Because the truth is, if there's no God and you take it to its logical conclusion, then all of this is a cosmic accident and life has no meaning at all. And you're going to work has no meaning. And you paying your bills has no meaning. And you sustaining life and loving your neighbor has no meaning whatsoever. It's all purposeless and meaningless. And when you leave this earth, when your body dies, it goes to nothingness, never to have any part of life again. That is nihilism. And that is where many people live today. If you've watched that, God has given society over to following its own desire. We killed God because we don't need him anymore. And we are so smart and so enlightened that we worship ourselves. Why are people today so concerned about saving the planet? Now, look, I'm all for being smart. In fact, I saw someone the other day pull out in front of me and they just threw a bag of trash right on the middle of the road. And can I tell you? I wanted to whip somebody at that moment. I believe we should be responsible with the resources God has given us. I believe we should take care of this planet because God put us, mankind, in charge of the planet back when Adam was in the Garden of Eden. But I know this, it is not up to us to save the planet. You know why people are so convinced that we have to save the planet no matter what? Because they believe there's no God. They believe since there's no God, we are God and it's up to us. Why are people so strong about their opinions on morality and politics and they want to push it and make you believe what they believe? Why? Because they believe there's no God. And the ultimate conclusion of that is, well, if there's no God, then we have to fix all this, which means we need to make everybody behave themselves because everyone, since there's no judge in heaven, we become judge. And we worship ourselves, the creature, rather than the creator. Are you following me today? The ultimate conclusion of a life without God is that there really is no meaning and we're picking whatever we want. Now we have become God. So I want to close with this thought. Is God dead? No, he's not dead. He's never been dead. He's always been alive. He is the beginning and the end. I believe he's alive and well and I believe his existence is self-evident. It exists both in our hearts and in the world around us. And I believe that, of course, it takes faith to believe in God. We'll show you the evidence of the inside and the outside, but at some point you have to stand on the ledge and say, I choose to believe. That's what faith is. Amen? But I believe also that if you're going to believe there is no God, you can look at the evidence on the other side and say that there's a scientific explanation for everything. But since science doesn't know everything and can't disprove God, you've got to stand at another ledge and take a leap of faith saying, I don't believe there is a God. Either way, you're going to take a leap of faith. I choose to believe there is a God, and I believe he's the God of the Bible who expressed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And I believe Jesus Christ is the perfect expression of God's love for us. He said himself in John chapter 3, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came that the world might be saved. I came to give my life a ransom for many that if you would just believe, And it speaks to the internalness of our hearts as we walk in a world that is so apparently created by a creator. And we look inside of our hearts, we see either the presence of God pushing us to love, pushing us to meaning in life, or we see the absence and our need of God when we feel the emptiness inside of us and the depths of our hurts and our pains, maybe from the past. Maybe everything on the outside is going right, but you still feel empty. That is a 
design flaw. That is the sense that in your design, you need God. There's something missing from your life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're living in a time where the world wants you to believe that any kind of religion or any pathway to God is the God. They might even allow Christianity to be a part of that. But I'm here to tell you as Christians, we can't preach that. Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When there's a the of something and not an a, it's not a way, it's the way. When there's a the of something, that means there's only one and everything else is not that thing. There is only one way, he said to the Father, and that is through faith in me. And I want to tell you today, you were created for a purpose, and that purpose is to be in relationship with God. He loves you, and he sent his son. And if you would just believe in him, you could begin a relationship that would change who you are. I don't want you to think that you need to come to church. That's the thing. No, you need to come to Jesus. Come to church follows. I don't want you to think that you need to give to the poor. I want you to know that you need to give your life to Jesus. Giving to the poor will come later on. Just come to Christ as you are. You don't have to earn his love. You don't have to earn your place. What you have to do is believe. For if you believe that there is a God and that Jesus is the way to get to God and you express that with your mouth, the Bible says you shall be saved and you shall be in relationship with him. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads this morning?